Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Irish Times Books Podcast. I'm Gary Quinn and we're talking food writing ahead of the third Kerrygold Ballymaloo Literary Festival of Food and Wine. My guests today are Caroline Hennessy, author of Slauncha and a well-known broadcaster and writer in food and drink. Welcome, Caroline. Thank you very much. I'm also joined by John Wilson here in studio, author of Wilson and Wine, among other titles, and our wine correspondent here in the Irish Times. Welcome, John. Thank you. I am really excited about this literary literary food festival that I have never been to, but I've heard so much about. And it feels like food writing is having this nonstop rock and roll moment. It's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Are you enjoying it, Caroline? It is amazing. I was in Hodges and Figgis earlier on and I just popped in because I just thought, oh, it'd be nice to browse through a few cookbooks before we come and talk about this together. And I was absolutely stunned. I was looking at one shelf and then I went, oh, and it's on the left and it's on the right. And there are shelves and shelves and shelves and shelves of cookbooks. I remember Hodges and Figgis a few years ago, you'd walk in and you know, there might be two shelves of cookbooks or two blocks of cookbooks. So there's a huge expansion in the amount of cookbooks being Mm -hmm. produced. But even better than that, there's a huge appetite for consumption of the cookbooks. Uh Now, the, I wonder if the appetite for uh, use of the cookbooks is is quite yeah. as as um, pronounced. But it's it's um, it's being it's an interesting time to be involved in the whole world of, of food writing. And why why does it matter, John? Why do you think people are taking to food writing and drink writing? Is, are they the same food writing, drink writing? No, I think separate? they're probably different. Well, yeah. I think there's a connection in that I, I have written about food in the past, but uh-huh. I worked in the wine business and drinks business, so that would be my speciality. Um, I think people are drawn to it because there's a real interest of everybody in food now. Now, I would say about this huge avalanche of books is there's a lot of what I would call lifestyle books that are more about the photographs uh, rather than the recipes. But they can be beautiful as well. They can be absolutely stunning, um, but you'll never cook a recipe from them. And and it's almost as if you're getting a a new star being born every month or two, whereas there are some really good, serious writers who are writing fantastic cookery books, and I just hope they don't get lost. In do, you, do you think that some writers, the, the really serious writers, do find it harder to shout above the, oh, the din? Oh, definitely, Gary. There's no doubt about that, because if you go in, it's like there's, if there's too much choice, people go, oh, I, I'll just run away from, from yeah. all the shelves. But I do think, I, I agree with you in that there's a lot of beautifully photographed, you know, visually very perfect books out there. But a book... For me, a book is only as good as the recipes I can use from it. And I would have hundreds of cookbooks. I love cookbooks. I'm sitting here with my first cookbook, which is <laughs> uh, a ladybird learn about cooking, which um, my aunt bought me for this for me when I was six or seven. And I've cooked my way through this forwards and backwards, forwards and backwards, because there was nothing else at that time. Now you look at the range of kids cookbooks that are on offer and even that area, there's huge variety. But the thing is, it's like if people really want to to get the best out of a cookbook, no matter how beautiful it looks, they have to start cooking from it. And if they start cooking from it, they're starting to think about food in a different way. They're starting to engage with the whole process of cooking. And that is what we want people to do. Even if you just make a few cakes out of some some book, you're still getting hands on experience of following a recipe. And if you can make a few cakes, then hopefully you translate that to your dinner in the midweek. Is it important? Is it important that we have writing about food? Yes. 
definitely. I think so, yes. Uh, I think food fashions change, but to have good writing about food is very important. And I know uh, food writers are accused at times of being pretentious, but I do think it's something you do three times a day. Everybody does. And if you're putting something into your mouth, you should know something about it. And I think there's very few people going out into the world as young adults who cannot cook. I hope there is yeah. very few people. But I remember in my generation, my mother taught me to cook, uh, all of us to cook, boys and girls, because she said it's a part of a life skill that you need. And I think possibly with cookery books, people now are a little bit more knowledgeable and realise how important it is. And are you surprised, John, that your career has caught you up in the centre of all of that? Yes, I never suspected it would happen at all. Uh, I worked in the wine business and I was always very interested in food. But I went through a period of 15 years of not only writing wine lists for restaurants and things like that. And suddenly I was being asked to write articles about wine and enjoyed it. And then spirits and beer and everything else followed on from that. So uh, it was fantastic. And I guess, like I heard there's like some 8,000 people are going to turn up for this literary festival in Ballymaloo at the weekend. Um, a lot of them will look to what you're doing, Caroline, as an author and think, wow, what a dream job. That might be so, but there's not a huge amount of money in it, I have to say. <laughs> it's You eat well. Um, but the thing is, if you want to work in, in the area of food, there's so many different ways to get involved and to get into it. And you just have to do, and the thing is, you have to do a lot of things for free uh, to kind of get yourself into a space where people go, oh, m maybe I'll give her a call about doing this or doing that. So it's not... It's not an easy life and I don't just uh -huh. sit around having nice meals and uh, doing talks. But I really, the thing is, you, you wouldn't do this unless you were passionate about it. Food has been a passion of mine ever since I was six years old with my Ladybird book, uh -huh. um, Making Chocolate Mousses. And being pretentious, you know, my family thought when I was small that, you know, She's kind of crazy because she's reading. I used to read all the English newspapers, all about food in them. And I used to love, you know, the reading all the different library books that I could get my hands on because there weren't that many cookery books around where I lived in the middle of the countryside. And so I read Maura Laverty from cover to cover because she's such beautiful stories. My mother had um, a copy, several copies of Paula Daly's McDonald's Good Food Cookbook, otherwise known as the Stork Cookery Books, uh -huh. which are <laughs> great cookbooks. And every time, because I have a, a blog called Bibliocook, uh -huh. uh, Books and Food, and every time I write about those books, I get people going, oh, can you send me the recipe for X, Y or Z? My mother used to make it or my nana used to make it. And that is what where the real power of food is. Mm -hmm. Not just to feed you, but to feed your imagination, your brain, your sense of memory, of nostalgia. And you're giving, when you cook for your family, for your children, for your friends, you're giving people a piece of memory, a piece of you that's, in, that's part of the meal. And that's why the cookbooks that I would love all have something of a sense of the chef. So they're not just about the lifestyle yeah, kind of thing. It's uh, yeah. of, of a person, of a place, of things like that. I'm amazed how people remember meals that I've cooked them five really? years later when I've forgotten them completely. Yeah. <laughs> and they'll say, and you cooked a meal from that book and you did this. And uh, my sister, particularly, who lives abroad, will can name off all the meals that I've cooked her. 
obviously they're happy occasions. <laughs> I'm just thinking there might not be too many of them if she could <laughs> on figures of more than one hand. And it's, and the festival because somehow I've got in my mind this really magical place that's happening down in Cork because I've heard so many really positive things about it. Tell me about the the festival. Tell me about your first introduction to it. Oh. Who wants to start? I, I think it is magical. If if you're somebody who's interested in food and in wine and in drink generally, it, you're there with a group of people who all believe in the same things as you and share the same, same passions and loves. And that's fantastic. What I like about it is it's so relaxed, it's so casual that they have the big shed, which is where the fringe events come take place. And you can just wander around there and meet up with some of these wonderful food and drink producers who are either making cider or growing mushrooms or things like that. And there's pop-up tastings going on and there's all sorts of things going on. So even if you don't attend any of the star tastings, and I actually haven't attended very many of them because uh-huh. I'm either giving a, a talk or trying to relax between the two, you can have great fun. And I think it only costs a five or something like that to get into the big shed for the. Oh, minute. really? Yeah. So um, anyone can just turn up on Saturday and just five are into the fringe events and children under 12 go free. Oh, wow. And as John said, there are so many different events that happen as kind of a spin off of all the main stage big ticket events. So and you will walk around the big shed and you will see like last year, Brene Redzepi was having some some um, uh, noodles in a corner and Ottolenghi was talking to the rocket man on his stall. And it's this kind of informality that you're just there and you're like, I have your cookbook. I have your cookbook. And you yeah. see, it's like seeing your cookbook shelf walking around. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's, it's very relaxed. Is it, a, is it a, are there many events like this in the world? It seems so international. I can't imagine there could be many. This, when Darina set it up, Darina and Rory set it up uh, three years ago, they set it up because there was no other um, food and no other cookbook Con- er, con- yeah, concentrating on cookbooks. There's, there's food festivals elsewhere, but they don't have they don't have the literary side to it, which mm-hmm. um, Darina is very strong on. It is not just a food festival; it's a literary food and drink festival. Uh-huh. So she gets the writers. She also has the pulling power to be able to get Alice Waters and Otto Lenghi and uh, you know all sorts of superstars over, uh-huh. uh, which I don't think there's many people around the world who can do that. Yeah. And you're both going to be busy on the main stages yourselves, I guess, right? So, yeah. Caroline, you're meeting one of your heroes. Oh, I am. Um, I guess. I so am. Um, um, <laughs> Garrett Oliver from the Brooklyn Brewery, who wrote one of the first books about beer and food and putting beer really in place as part of a strong, proud tradition and part of something that could be really enjoyed with food. And so he wrote that book uh, called Brewmaster's Table. And he will be coming and doing an event on, he'll be doing three events over the weekend. The first is with me and in conversation with me. And we'll be talking about the different uh, craft beer scenes in like he's based in Brooklyn and and in, Ar- in Ireland and he's also an international man of mystery we uh-huh. should say because he's always traveling he's I got an email from him from Stockholm this morning so he is he is one of my heroes and I will be I'll be fascinated to see what what kind of take he has on the Irish craft beer scene and what he thinks of you know future trends in beer in worldwide 
And is he still making beer? He is in yeah. in the Brooklyn Brewery. And he's also doing a tasting event with some very rare beers on Sunday. And he's doing an event with you as well, isn't he, John? That's right. Too? Yeah. No, we're, well, we're not tasting. We're just discussing. <laughs> I suggest this as a topic is, is wine going out of fashion. Yeah. Um, because there has this been this huge growth in craft beer and cider over the last couple of years. Huge revival of interest in uh, whiskey and gin, all sorts of other spirits. So the question rises: Is wine going out of fashion? Because I thought this is really brave now of you, because you're a wine writer, and yeah. but you're going to put this question out. And what do you think you're going to get back? I don't know. Uh, no. I have no idea, but I think it's a question that needs to be asked. I mean, I do write about beer, and I do write you about do. spirits as well. So, but wine would be, I suppose, my my first love in life. But I, I think it'll be an interesting discussion. I'd be fascinated to see what the audience um, might ask. Uh-huh. Um, but we'll see. It's it's a question that needed to be asked. And do you get a lot of dialogue with the audience? Is there a lot of back and forth? That's exactly it. And the audience are really what makes events because, you know, you're on stage and you're talking about whatever topic it is you're, you're, you're concentrating on. But then you can get incredible interactions with the, the people in the audience afterwards. And the interaction doesn't have to stop when everybody walks out of the building to to vacate the space for the next talk because you can go down to the big shed and grab a drink or have some food or you can bump into that person later on when you're dancing around like a lunatic uh, at the... (laughs) (laughs) Very late at night. Does it go on late at night? They have a band playing and there's all sorts of dancing and And revelry going on. (laughs) It's got to be the cheapest nightclub in the area. Five are in and you're there for the whole day and dancing for all all evening and night. But it's, it's really good fun. So, and you can be dancing next to somebody who's speaking on the big stage the following day. Uh-huh. And and how does it work? So you pay for the session, so for the main stage, we'll call it. I don't know if you actually call it. Is that the name of it? Well, that's the the, the main stage, I suppose, is the grain store, okay. which is the biggest space. So that's where Alice Waters will be. Will tell be me about that, actually, because I don't know Alice Waters. So tell me... Alice Waters. You're both shaking your heads. Where do you start? <laughs> uh, she she was the start of so many things in terms of cookery out in Berkeley in California, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the what they call Calatau, uh, Californian Italian. But it was much more about that. It was about locally sourced organic food that she's done a huge amount for. Um, my sister worked there a couple of days. She ran a restaurant down the road from Alice Waters. Oh. So I've eaten there a couple of times in the cheap cafe. Um, <laughs> but it, it was a wonderful experience. The food is amazingly good, but oh. California is a bit like that. It is a, it, you don't think about it, but it has this bread basket, fruit basket of marvellous food. And she was the first one to spot that. Okay. And I think she's changed the way people think about food. And, and, and what other, what other people are you going to try and get to be in the audience for? Well, I'm really interested in what has come out of Alice Waters' influence because three other chefs that worked with her are going to be there. April Bloomfield, um, David Tanis, and I'm not sure what the third one is, but they're doing, they're going to be doing a talk on stage as well. And it's just really interesting because I didn't realise that they were all interconnected. So seeing what has come out of Chez Panisse and out of Alice's um, stewardship is is fascinating because that's one of the really, really interesting things. If you're somebody who's devoted to cookbooks and likes having a stack of them up, you just like to see the threads that are connecting. Uh-huh. Um, say Honey & Co, um, a couple who run th- that restaurant over in London, 
they will be over and they worked with Ottolenghi formerly and they're doing events that are, now I really would love to be at their events but they're sold out already. I think a lot of them are sold out. I'd love to see Sam and Sam Clark from Morrow Moro in London. Uh-huh. Uh, Fuchsia Dunlop who wrote a book about Sichuan cookery that is quite amazing. Um, but most of these are sold, the, the top right. ones are sold out. But that doesn't mean you can't whiz around and go to other really fascinating yeah. events. Because there's, there's some 60 writers, speakers coming, right? Guests, yeah. we'll call them. Yeah. yeah. So there's there's tons to see and do. So people can still turn up even, even at this late stage, Friday oh. evening, Saturday morning. Definitely. Like the, um, the two big days of the festival are Saturday and Sunday. And the thing is, you know, there's a, um, a desk there that sells tickets so you can turn up and see what's there because it doesn't matter, to be honest. It doesn't really matter what you go to uh-huh. because you're going to have a ball. And, <laughs> you know, if you go to a cookery demonstration, you get to see everything that's very, you know, like you get to, to watch the people that you only read about. Normally. So they're not cramming them in there. There's, no, there's no, no, a there's nice always number. plenty of space, I think. Well, some of the cookery ones, there's very limited space left, but you get a proper seat and a, a view of it. thing to remember about the drinks one is usually there's drink on offer so you can taste <laughs> beer, Lots of samples. <laughs> but also then with the fringe events, and I'm doing a couple of fringe events, one of them is called Ravenous, the Cookbook Chronicles. And I'm doing this with um, a friend called Anthony O'Toole and Anthony and myself for two hours we're just going to be grabbing people in the, the garden tent and saying, right, talk to us about your favourite cookbook you know the one that was most influential the one that made you want to go to a certain place or the one that you absolutely hated so and that is like anybody can be around and they can get a chance to come on stage so and that's that's a free event that's part of the, part of okay. the fringe so if you're in in around the fringe you, you can, can definitely there. come and can we people bring grab the cookbooks you. with them and oh, talk I'd to you love, about them I, I love <laughs> it when people bring their cookbooks we had a guy last year who turned up with an incredible cookbook from the 1920s or something and with all these kind of ideas about how children should be fed and it was it was so scary you just think <laughs> of the poor kids <laughs> the poor children of the 20s but this yeah. it's it's that kind of you know you can be there sitting watching your hero on stage one moment and the next minute you can be on stage and last year we got Rene Redzepi to do a cookbook chronicle his his um wow. worst cookbook yeah. he told us about so it's that kind of level of interaction uh-huh. and it's up to you in lots of cases you yeah. know to volunteer for things or else to be just standing nearby me and I'll I'll grab you <laughs> and can I ask then because okay I'm getting this wonderful picture of this place and it's very magical and we've got the best people in the world are there but is it um, a critical space like is it a space to are there spaces to move the debate forward or change the industry or is it that kind of a place does it need to be I don't think it's it's about the future. It's about meeting people who explain their books because it is about books yeah. um, all the time. You're going back to what you've okay. written about. Uh, so it, it, critical, yes. And I certainly, there was one year when people started arguing with me over a couple of wines and I was delighted because actually it makes life much easier <laughs> if you can get some sort of dialogue going with people if they just sit there and say yes those are all very nice uh-huh. where's the fun in that yeah. when it comes to wine there's people hate wine particular wines people love other wines and it's the same with beer and other other drinks as well so you want to get a dialogue going whether you're going to change the future of food or wine I don't think 
uh-huh. that's going to happen. But uh, but it doesn't feel like an elitist place. No, it, it as I say, like if you want to get involved with different things, you can. And also, I think while you know it might not go in for the like it's a celebration essentially a celebration of food and writing about food and cookbooks and the glory of cookbooks but also you know the people who are there are the people who cook in your local cafe they're the person who choose you know the the wine list in in the restaurant that's just down the road that you really love going to these are the people who influence what you eat and what you drink so it's a really good idea to be there and you could spot then you can spot the trends in lots of cases because I know that people get hugely inspired by being at Litfest I know myself I go home buzzing every year I need need like two days to detox afterwards and it's not because I've been drinking it's just because my (laughs) head is so full of ideas and things that I want to write about and things that I want to tell people about so I find it hugely inspiring Uh and so for for you on Monday morning John is that the kind of feeling you'd be chasing? Absolutely. No, you go home on a real high and with this warm glow. I think a part of the, it's certainly in the past, it was difficult to come across people who shared your love of food and drink. Uh, and in Ireland, it was seen as something to keep quiet about and not be too pretentious. Now, when you meet a group of people who all share your love of life, um, it's uh-huh. fantastic to be able to talk to them. Yeah. And you come back, it's usually... The last two years, they've had very good weather. So it's lovely sunshine. You come back and you've had this wonderful experience. So you're just this contented sigh as you drive away and think that was <laughs> great fun. I must come back next year. Well, we're four days out here whilst we're recording this. And uh, can you can, do you have a picture of what the team down there might be like right now? Is it uh, do you think it'll be a pressure cooker right now? Well, I was talking to the organizer of the drinks theater, Colin McCann, uh, the other day, and he said, well, basically at this stage, it just keeps going. Okay. He said, if I disappeared in the morning, there's nothing that can stop it. <laughs> so I, I think they're thinking about the next year already. Oh, really? so well, I, I did get an email this morning from one of the suppliers of some of the samples that I'm using of the wines uh, to say he'd forgotten to send the wine. Was it too late? So I rang Colm and said, is it too late? And he hadn't, I don't think he'd even realised the wine was missing okay. so it's just as well because I think he would have had a heart attack but uh, the wine is going down as of now I think fantastic so. but I have to say the team down there they have worked incredibly hard they do every year and you'll see them whizzing around with clipboards and walkie talkies and and still managing to get to see the chefs and the the writers that they want to see. A lot of it is run by volunteers, people who... Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. All of the helpers and people who guide you here, there Mm -hmm. and everywhere are actual volunteers who get to see some of their their heroes, I guess, when you're talking about the big food writers. Mm -hmm. But they also get to spend a fun weekend down at a literary festival. Great. Um, guys, you've painted a fantastic picture of what's coming up over the weekend. We've run out of time, but do you want to wrap up with anything we've missed? Any headliners that you're that you're hoping to see, Caroline? Jack Monroe, she's been an inspiration to, I think, people who have to cook on extremely low budgets. And we're not just talking very little money, we're talking about no money. And I think she's well worth checking out. Allegra McGreevy, who used to be work with Leon, uh, is going to be there as well. And her books are brilliant, really opinionated uh-huh. and very, very ballsy. And um, David Le- Lebowitz, 
Lebowitz, I can't pronounce it quite quite properly, but he's the third person that I was mentioning who is from Chez Panisse. He has a blog, he's lived in Paris for years and he's an incredibly funny writer. So I'm just hoping that translates to the stage now at the weekend. Fantastic. And John, you've quite a few sessions to do actually, don't you? I'm doing about five sessions. Wow. So it's a matter of, of finding time to go and see, I want to go and see Jancis Robinson, who of course is one of the great wine writers and Alice Fearing, who writes about natural wines and organic wines. Uh, but they also, the one I'm interested in is Desmond Payne, who makes gin. And I think that that's my current interest. So I'd be fascinated to go along and wow, taste yeah. and listen to an expert on gin. Fantastic. Well, you can find out everything about the festival at litfest.ie. And you can follow our own Mary Claire Digby from the Irish Times, who will be uh, live tweeting through the entire festival. So um, we'll be following her with interest on irishtimes.com. Um, I'm Gary Quinn. You've been listening to a special edition of the Books Podcast. Sound today has been by JJ Verning. And good luck to everyone at the Kerrygold Ballymaloo Literary Festival. <laughs>